Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Now assessing your glorious purpose, strap in folks, the nerds have arrived, bringing you the ultimate nerd podcast. Nerds, the worlds of, gaming, horror, TV, and film, have collided right here. This will be your finest hour. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, this week's podcast, we're breaking down the season two finale of Loki, and we also have all the latest news and rumors in Nerdum. Plus, we have a review for the Marvels. But with that said, let's get into the news. Every week, we collect the biggest headlines and rumors in Nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters. We're mere podcasters with opinions. Warning, potential spoilers for upcoming shows and movies ahead. Check timestamps to avoid spoilers. You have been warned. Alright, up first, hallelujah, the strike is officially over, as SAG-AFTRA has officially reached a tentative agreement with the studios. Can you feel a brand new day, Damon? After 118 days, a deal was finally struck between SAG-AFTRA and the AMPTP for the next three years. And it actually seems like the actors got what they wanted as the deal will include large pay increases and protections against AI as Deadline reported. Though official deal details haven't been released just yet. The strike has been you know, said to have cost Hollywood and the Southern California economy about $6.5 billion along with the loss of 45,000 industry jobs over the last six months, sending a massive shockwave to the AMPTP and hopefully change for the better. Well, amen to that, and hopefully the studios have learned their lesson in like the next three years when, you know, negotiations start again. Uh, they're not such greedy bastards, right? Hopefully. <laughs> I, I'm definitely not holding my breath. Um, they, they were still going after, you know, people's like dead AI image, know. you know, after. <laughs> so fucking sick and twisted, man. Like, read the room. What are we doing? Like, what? <laughs> I don't anyway, know. Let's fucking go uh, and get the show on the road. Uh, but unfortunately, we did have a whole lot of delays announced right after this historic agreement took place. Which up first, we have a bunch of Marvel delays with Captain America Brave New World and Thunderbolts no longer coming out in 2024. Now Cap 4 will come out on February 14th, 2025, while Thunderbolts will come out July 25th, 2025. Also, THR reported that Venom 3 will be getting pushed back to November 8th instead of its original summer date as the team gets back to production along with Deadline reporting that the Penguin spinoff for the Batman is now back in production, though it will also miss its spring 2024 release window, as it's now looking like the series will begin in fall 2024. So yeah, I mean, that basically means Deadpool 3 is going to be the sole, like, Marvel film to be released next year. Um, Absolutely crazy. Yeah, right? I mean, when was the last time that happened? Did that even happen during the pandemic? I'm not sure. I, I feel like we still had two films coming out each year. Yeah, because they were probably already in the can at that time. Mm -hmm. So we'll have to check that out, though. But yeah, I mean, Disney Plus wise, I think the only thing we have coming up in 2024 is uh, Echo and Agatha. So it's, it's going to be a pretty light year when it comes to the MCU. But maybe that's not a bad thing. I mean, it'll give them time to get their ducks in a row. Um, and, you know, distance always makes the heart grow fonder. But like I said up front, like we saw the writing on the wall after they announced the first round of delays uh, at the start of the strike a couple months back. Uh, you know, with the strike going on and on, there was no way that we didn't have more delays coming. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure it was more of a case of them just waiting for the strike to end to kind of figure out like a clear timeline uh, when it came to the actual schedule and when they could get the ball actually like running 
production wise, you know, on all these, you know, upcoming films. So, I mean, I'm just glad we've got a clear timeline now and, you know, people can actually get back to work again. And oh yeah, you know, actors actually getting paid what they deserve. That's that's an awesome thing too. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> well, sticking with all things Marvel, the MCU just announced a brand new banner for some of their upcoming TV series and films. Marvel this past week showed off not only the trailer for Echo, but also held a two-episode screening for the Choctaw Nation and their annual powwow. During this, it was unveiled that the series is under a new banner called the Marvel Spotlight that reportedly you know, focused less on the Marvel continuity. The title Marvel Spotlight is based on the anthology comics of the same name. Marvel Studios head of streaming Brad Winterbaum calls it an alternative to the larger-than-life storytelling present in the current Marvel projects, as Spotlight will focus on more grounded, character-driven stories with more street-level stakes. So I think this is a great idea. I feel like they've kind of already started doing this with shows like Moon Knight, um, just without the banner. But I feel like the banner will let fans know that, you know, this show or this character won't necessarily be playing a huge part in the overall ongoing narrative of the MCU, um, that they're, it's just a solo series with, you know, a solo character, um, so don't be expecting to see them go up against, you know, the, the Thanoses of the world, if you will, uh, which is fine. Like, this is how comics have operated for years, right? Mm. Like, crossovers are great, but they don't have to happen all the fucking time. <laughs> There's plenty of characters that operate outside of, you know, the Avengers, if you will. Not everyone is suited to tackle an Avengers level threat on a weekly basis. So I, I'm fine with this. This makes sense. And this is kind of what we wanted from the Disney Plus shows right off the bat. Like we saw it as a great vehicle to really introduce these grade B or C level characters for the lack of a better term um, and really, you know, flesh out their stories uh, without having to deal with the ongoing continuity or, you know, overall story arc. So I think this is great. I mean, if it gives more space for more heroes to have their own separate journeys, that's fine. You know, it. I feel like it, it it's just basically been like Marvel's Netflix, right? <laughs> exactly. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, when they when they mentioned like the whole street level like effect, I was like, oh, okay. So pretty much the Defenders is just going to live underneath this brand. Yes. Is what you're telling me. Yeah. I mean, we're pretty much getting Kevin Foggy's Defenders, if you will, uh, which I feel like that's what we kind of wanted all along. So uh-huh. now we're finally getting it. It is what it is. And I'm sure at the same time, like, this doesn't mean they'll be completely isolated. You know, I'm sure once in a while we will see crossovers happen. It just means that their story won't be dictated by the latest theme of the latest saga that the MCU is currently in. But anyway, moving on, we've got an update on two former Avengers and and one of them's possible future in the MCU. My Time to Shine Hello took to X this week, claiming Robert Downey Jr. has already agreed to come back according to their sources, though no other details were brought up along with that. But Kevin Feige at the Marvel's red carpet told fans that we'll have to wait and see if anything comes of RDJ's return. He also mentioned that a Scarlett Johansson produced project is still in the works for Marvel, but did not confirm her return to the character of Black Widow either. Yeah, I mean, we heard a while back that Scarlett Johansson would be producing a MCU project of some sort, but we have no real details on exactly what or who that could possibly be about. Um, 
And as far as Robert Downey Jr., I mean, we kind of already talked about the story last week with the rumor going around that the Avengers, the original Avengers, would be returning to the MCU. Um, so at this point, I wouldn't be surprised by anything. I mean, we are dealing with the multiverse. Um, I know a lot of people, and I think I talked about this last week, you know, saw this as a desperate cry for help. Due to the nature of the current saga, I could see this always being the plan. You know, like, even if it's just a cameo, right? It just feels like it, it's something that could have been in the cards all along. Mm -hmm. And, like, Scarlett Johansson working with them just feels like, hey, you also want to, like, shoot a couple scenes here and there? Like, I, I could totally see them just oh, I could, still wanting to have her Especially knowing that her sister's going to be playing a big part in the Thunderbolts film, you know, with half of the, you know, cast of Black Widow. So I could definitely mm. see a couple flashback scenes starring Natasha, right? I'm just sad that we have to keep waiting for Thunderbolts to come out. <laughs> I'm just glad that the strike is over at this point, so... Mm. But anyway, moving on, it looks like we finally got some good news on the Blade front. Reports from Deadline came in that Blade will be rated R with director Jan Demange confirming the facts. Demange claims the R rating is important for the film, stating he's excited to show that kind of ruthlessness and roughness that Blade has that you know, allows him to kind of walk the earth in a particular way. Demange wants to unleash that onto the big screen. This joins Echo's TVMA along with Deadpool's R rating, as the MCU begins to kind of embrace a more brutal style to go along with its more regular fare. Hell yes. I want decapitations. I want gnarly special effects. I want blood raves. I want everything that came with the original 90s Blade and more. Um, I mean, this is a vampire film. You know, I'm glad that Marvel's willing to do rated R now because I just feel like it's essential to the tone of you know the story i mean blades a true blue vampire film so the more blood and violence the better i mean this isn't fucking twilight so let's do this at least it feels like the director agrees with you here and better yet it looks like kevin Faki does because i'm sure he realizes there's a certain sect of like marvel fans that are craving you know something more mature um, and this is just his way of giving it. At this point, you know, since Iron Man's release, everyone's grown up, <laughs> you know? No, exactly, exactly. And if you think about it, I mean, this is the way the comic book universe works too. I mean, you have some comic books that are PG rated and you have some comic books that are, you know, MA. So, I mean, it just makes sense. So it's not like the film's not gonna make money, especially when, mm -hmm. you know, we've heard that it's gonna have a lower budget compared to the other MCU films. So if you're going to do the story, do it right. And if you think about it with Blade being horror adjacent, really, uh, you're attracting a completely different audience um, who will definitely show up. Like genre fans, fans will pay damn good money to see a damn good horror, to see a vampire film done right. Well, lastly, on the Marvel front, it looks like we got confirmation on the premiere date of What If Season 2. Disney Plus this week revealed that What If Season 2 would in fact be coming in December as part of the streaming app's holiday releases. Though no concrete date was stated, they simply stated in the release that it was coming holiday 2023. And do we know how they're actually releasing the episodes? Is it going to be a weekly thing or are they just dumping them all out at once, uh, Netflix style? Similar to what they're doing with Echo. I'm still under the assumption that they're going to be releasing it weekly because they haven't say anything but you know the first trailer could drop and then they say we're jumping it all at once you know because they haven't there's just no confirmation on anyone's side here they haven't just given us an actual trailer 
No, that's true. That's true. You gotta figure though that that's coming sooner than later at this point. It, it would have to. It's showing up in December, right? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> but I feel like this has been in the can for a while at this point, right? Because we had the toys drop a while back, like the Funko mm-hmm. Pops and everything. Because this just kept on getting delayed and delayed and delayed. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I really enjoyed the first season, um, so I'm pretty stoked for the second season. But anyway, lastly for the news, it looks like we got a big film announcement from Nintendo. Legend of Zelda game designer Miyamoto on X stated that he's been hard at work on a live action Legend of Zelda film with producer Avi Arad, who has worked on almost all of Sony's Marvel films. Variety claims Wes Ball, director of The Maze Runner and Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, is set to direct the film and will be written by Derek Connolly, who wrote Jurassic World. So after the success of the Super Mario Brother film, I mean, we've been hearing tons of rumors of a possible Legend of Zelda film in the works. Uh, I'm more surprised that it isn't an animated feature, but I mean, the Legend of Zelda film definitely lends itself to the live action, you know, fantasy genre. So um, the, I, I don't see a problem with that. I mean, it's it's got to be a huge fucking budget to do the story right, though, like depending on mm-hmm. what, you know, game they go with or unless they do some kind of like hodgepodge deal um you know like what they did with the super mario brother film honestly um you know i mean do you have a a talking link is that i mean is that sacrilege (laughs) it is sacrilege everyone's gonna it's gonna be the first joke that comes out every single time but i feel like you have to for a live action film Especially if any part of the journey is just him alone. I mean, unless they get real artsy with this motherfucker, but I don't see that. Artsy with it, get out of here. (laughs) (laughs) I want some Green Knight production. It's not A24's Legend of Zelda. Um, You know, this is a bad comparison, but they could do like a Blade Runner type deal. Not that, you know, Harrison Ford's character wasn't, you know, speaking, but I mean, he had little dialogue limited, and you had yeah. the overall like well in some versions of the film um you know you had the the you know him narrating the story so uh you could have links like inner monologue you know he could be the narrator but you just don't have him speaking on film now i'm not up to date on my legend of zelda lore like is there an in-story reason why link doesn't speak just it's it's just a symbol like as the game creators have actually you know said during all this it's like they want the player to embody the character as much as possible so he just doesn't talk you know okay so like i grew up (laughs) you know partially in the 90s so i like my link actually spoke in that horrible animated series Uh where he was just like sexually harassing zelda every episode (laughs) um (laughs) So, I mean, I don't know. I, I was surprised that, you know, to find out that Link doesn't talk um, at all in the games. Like, my daughter actually informed me of this. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I kind of like that idea. You know, I mean, I'm a G.I. Joe guy also, so it reminds me a little of Snake Eyes. So I'm cool with that. Okay. Um, and I feel like you could tell an interesting story, you know, using that. So, um you know, he's got a pretty big supporting cast, at least in the latest games, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, they, they can totally chuck it full of people that will talk around him, obviously, so. Okay, do you think they go the route of, you know, the last couple games, you know, Tears of the Kingdom and Breath of the Wild? Yeah, I mean, I overall think they will tell their own kind of narrative. Like, I feel like they'll just piece together things in their own way, but 
I definitely feel like it, it's probably going to lean more in that direction. Kind of like what we're seeing with uh, Sony deciding to do, you know, the more recent God of War games rather than taking the original trilogy. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Um, well, I know my daughter is definitely excited about this, and I'm not going to lie, I'm kind of excited for it too. Um, you know, I love the original Zelda game. Um, I'm just happy that there'll probably be a lot more Zelda merch out there because I'm really sick of like hunting on eBay for like $60, $70 amiibos for my daughter um, <laughs> since there are no good like Legend of Zelda action figures for some reason. Uh -huh. There's a couple that are on the market right now, but they really fucking suck. Like all their limbs fall off for some reason, but they're made by Jax, so I shouldn't be surprised, honestly. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, those fucking amiibos, dude. Like, I don't even understand exactly what they fucking do, but they sure are expensive, especially once they're vaulted and like out of production. Holy shit. My favorite feature of the Amiibos, um, I don't play any Nintendo games really, but my favorite feature is the fact that you can take your Pokemon ones and put them in Zelda and it gives you food. Yes. In the game. <laughs> There's a lot of weird crossover stuff happening that my daughter was explaining uh -huh. to me. And I was like, okay, you know, I'm just not even smiling because I don't really understand half of it. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I'm glad that there's something more than just like, you know, them getting a new weapon or uh -huh. something like that. I mean, they, they're pretty cool, like figurines. They're definitely better than the Jax toys, but they're still not worth 50 or $60. Like I had to buy all the Zelda champions for her birthday. And it, it cost me a pretty fucking penny. <laughs> um, but to get back to the film, though, like, I feel because it's Sony, it, it's definitely going to be Tom Holland, right? As Link. <laughs> that's like, that's the meme between Spider Man films. right now, right? <laughs> I mean, it is probably physically a, a good fit if you think uh -huh. about it, right? Because <laughs> Tom's got to be close to 30 right now, but he still has his like boyish good looks. Mm -hmm. So he could pass as a little like elf dude, right? Like, I mean, that's what is that what like is Link technically an elf? Yeah, yeah, he's just a, a little elf. Okay, <laughs> we're probably pissing off a lot of Zelda fans right now. Oh so. yeah, <laughs> he's not just an elf; uh, he's the elf. Right. Anyway, no, I'm excited for this project. Hopefully, you know it's good, right? Because I mean, God forbid it isn't. I mean, we won't get shit from Nintendo for another like three decades. Because that's pretty much what happened after the shitty fucking Super Mario Brothers film, you know, that came uh -huh. out in the 90s. So they, sh they shouldn't have done anything after that. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> they mistake. should be punished. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a project where the more you invest, the more you're going to get returned. It's such a big franchise that people will come out for this. Well, and if you think about it, we've been talking about this for years on the podcast mm -hmm. like you know before the super mario brother film was announced and came out and was successful like we're like you know we're pretty much saying like why hasn't nintendo done anything with its ip um because it feels like it, it's just like perfect like it's tailored you know for mm -hmm. great animated features or even featured films like live action form so um or series at this point i'm sure that's probably you know coming now on the horizon oh yeah um but yeah, I mean, I mean, it was only a matter of time. And I guess when you're already making, you know, billions of dollars off of your IP, you're not really worried about the film world, especially if you think potentially it could hurt, you know, your brand. But we saw that wasn't mm -hmm. the case. I mean, people were definitely starving for some Nintendo content. Um, 
and I, I still stand by that Mario film. I thought that was great. Like I, at this point, I mean, I've watched it at least six times with my daughter. Um, <laughs> you know, it became like, you know, the, the film of the week for a good couple months. So, well, a lot more is definitely coming from that universe, at least. And now for the nerds breakdown of Loki season two, episode six. Heavy spoilers ahead. You have been warned. I know you won't believe me, but I've seen what's going to happen. And it's not good. Loki, how much do you know? Let's assume I don't know much, but I'm a fast learner and I'm a god. Well, let's start at the beginning. We start episode six with Loki returning right before Timely meets his demise. Loki doesn't stop anything from happening here and it all kind of plays out the same way. But instead of watching the loom explode, Loki asks Obi what they could have done differently, which Obi explains they took too long to get the throughput multiplier to the loom. This kickstarts a montage of Loki pushing his crew over and over to go faster in hopes of achieving new results, going further back each time, trying to push them along and hoping that it works out. But after many failed attempts, Loki realizes he's going to need to go even further back so that he himself can build the throughput multiplier earlier than they ever did, but to do so, he will have to study all of OB and Timely's work for centuries. So last episode, we both kind of joked that, you know, the finale was going to be like Loki back to the future. But apparently we were wrong because this was Loki Groundhog Day, like, yes, <laughs> over and over again. I thought it was done really well, um, you know, and it didn't, you know, the whole sequence didn't overstay its welcome, if you will. And at the same time, I feel like it really demonstrated the lengths that Loki was willing to go to save the multiverse which when all said and done was just so important to loki's overall arc it was definitely a sequence that you know if in the wrong hands could have been really annoying and would not have worked for the entire show but they you know figured it out in a way that didn't like overdo the groundhog day effect while also didn't like under explain where it is because i mean like there's moments later on where we find out that you know, he's been doing this, you know, millions of times and the revelation still felt right in that moment. It didn't feel like, you know, oh, th this shouldn't have happened or it felt out of place. At all. I mean, the fact that he went back centuries and studied quantum physics or whatever science Obi told him that he would have to be an expert in um, just tells you all you need to know about where Loki is as a character in this moment. But you're right, like the show did it in a way where it didn't feel overly redundant um, and you didn't feel exhausted watching it. And I think that's been one of the season's biggest strengths, the way that they've tackled and explained time travel and the multiverse of it all. Um, you know, where, where it hasn't been like just nauseating for me or headache inducing, if you will. Um, I've got to applaud them because usually when it comes to, you know, these kind of stories, I tap out pretty quickly because I just oh. can't wrap my head around like how any of this really makes any sense. But the writers have really found a way to sugarcoat all of that to the point where I can just really just invest in the story of the characters instead of worrying about plot holes. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm still worried about plot holes, but... <laughs> A lot less than usual when it comes to these kind of stories. Cutting two centuries later, we then see a now educated Loki pushing Victor Timely along as he's actually been through this moment with them 
thousands of times at this point. In the moment, he just starts breaking down exactly what will happen to the letter, knowing even what each person's going to tell him or make jokes of as he cuts each one of them off, finishing their sentences for them. I'm surprised they never went back to the fucking hot cocoa machine. Yes. They never go back to that. And it seemed like such a significant moment for that uh, like episode. Yes, right? Like it, it felt like that episode was really focusing on that moment and maybe that was mm -hmm. just us reading into things. I thought at least we'd get a moment with Loki like slapping the hot cocoa out of, you know, Victor's hands. Um, but no, we, we didn't get that moment at all. Timely goes ahead and makes his way to the launcher as Loki talks him through the whole walk, preventing him from making any mistakes. And while Timely still struggles to launch it, he eventually gets it over to the loom and hurries his way back with an excited Loki watching on, as this is the first time it might have actually worked. But what we learn here is that even with the throughput multiplier installed properly, there is an infinite number of timelines duplicating, and the multiplier, no matter what, can't handle the endless number of timelines. It simply will fail no matter what they do, since they can't account for infinity. Sylvie then realizes that the moment the timelines began branching, they were all doomed to this fate. So the one thing that I really, really enjoyed about this episode was like during it, I had no fucking clue where they were going. Um, and this was one of those bigger moments where I was like, oh, shit, like what mm -hmm. happens next? And honestly, that's one of the great things about the season, like, you know, episode by episode, like I really, really had no clue on, you know, what direction we're headed in at any point. Um, I mean, sure, we had our theories and sometimes, you know, we were dead on but there were other times we're completely off base <laughs> but that's what i want like i won't i don't want to be a better writer than you know the writers in the room at, at loki yes. right <laughs> like i'm fine being wrong um in fact like i'd rather be wrong than right because i want things to feel you know fresh and unpredictable um because otherwise what's what's the point Right. Mm -hmm. like I want to be on the edge of my seat, not knowing where I'm exactly. going. And that's what like, <laughs> all of my favorite shows pretty much do. Yeah. But it's so funny, like how many people get upset when like one of their theories don't turn out to be true or, you know, like, you know, they feel like they wrote a better, you know, season, you know, mm -hmm. like to me, all that matters is you're telling a good story. In fact, I'd rather not know the ending. Loki then travels back to the day where it all happened, when Sylvie killed He Who Remains. Loki attempts to reason with Sylvie and explain that this will end all of time, but no matter what she tells him, Sylvie simply explains, if you want to stop me, you have to kill me, which Loki then tries to fight her over and over again, only to fail as she kills he who remains with each attempt. So right here is the perfect example, because I was like, oh shit, Loki's going to have to fucking kill Sylvie. Like, mm -hmm. he's going to have to, you know, kill the person he loves the most in this world, you know, to save all of humanity. I mean, it'd be pretty dark and twisted um, and just a huge sacrifice for, you know, Loki. But at the end of the day, you know, I think that would have been almost too simple. And I think what they ended up going with was more creatively satisfying for the character, if that makes any sense. And I just love the fact that we ended up basically right back at the finale of season one. Um, that was a huge, like, holy shit moment. You know, for me, where it's like, oh, my God, this was the fucking master plan all along for, uh -huh. you know, he who remains. There was a there was a moment where I was like, 
did they shoot these scenes before in season right? one? Right. I was like, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about the long game. At a certain point, Loki complains, asking he who remains, why doesn't he ever try to stop her? Which he remains catches on that Loki has actually been time slipping, which prompts him to then freeze Sylvie and explain how he's actually been in control of this situation the whole time. That even Loki's ability to time slip was all designed to force Loki to actually save him. Yeah, with all that being said, this was definitely the biggest holy shit moment of this episode. Uh, the fact that, you know, it it has been he who remains pulling the strings all along. Um, that he saw all this coming. Uh, and the fact that he, he has had the ability to stop time in comic book accurate fashion. Um, that, that's been kind of one big piece missing from, you know, this version of Kang. I mean, that's been the one big weapon missing from the MCU's version of Kang's arsenal. Um, and one of the things that makes, you know, Kang such a big threat in the comics. Uh, but, I mean, he's had the power all along. At least the He Who Remains version of Kang. Because I'm assuming the version of Kang that we met in Quantumania hasn't developed that power yet because otherwise why wouldn't he be using it oh yeah he would have just right everyone <laughs> yes, <an> yes. Yeah. <laughs> he who remains then begins to explain the true nature of the temporal loom as it is simply a failsafe preventing any timeline to exist outside the sacred timeline because if they do survive other variants of him will be able to gain power loki remarks that he will stop all of his variants but he who remains laughs at this notion claiming loki will do what he always does, which is fail. So Loki is then faced with coming up with a solution to the equation he who remains has laid before him, when he suddenly realizes there's another option to break the temporal loom. He who remains tells him though, if you break it, the war will begin and all of existence will die. He who remains claims he made the very choice to make everyone safe, that he protects life itself that all peace is thanks to him, but Loki still believes he can find another way. The choice that now sits before him is to either kill Sylvie and protect the sacred timeline, or destroy the loom and begin the multiversal time war that will end all existence. Yeah, and here we got another great reveal, the fact that Loki can also freeze time. <laughs> uh, and apparently he's had this conversation also multiple times, uh, which definitely felt like a surprise to he who remains. Um, mm. It just tells you how long Loki has been at this at this point. I mean, once again, it just shows you how long Loki has actually been at this, you know, at this point. I mean, just the fact that he's leveled the playing field between he who remains, I mean, tells you all you really need to know. I mean, the one theory we did get right was the fact that the loom is kind of a failsafe for the multiverse. Or, you know, we thought that the TVA had a possible failsafe. Um, but it was a good catch on your part. Uh, I believe it was it last episode. Is it was. It was okay. at the end. I was bringing up like, do we think that the failsafe because we you know is what's happening? Or is we were hearing time? the announcement right over the TVA when mm -hmm. Loki was alone right that you know the felt safe was in place and then we went to like the theory that possibly they had some kind of like time bomb or something like that that would automatically destroy all the timeline branches which i mean fundamentally makes sense since that was the tva's original mission statement but with that being said you know even here at this moment I still had no clue where we're headed in this episode. And honestly, I don't think uh, Loki did either. <laughs> <laughs> 
Loki then heads back to the first time Mobius interrogated him and walks him through the entire plan Mobius has, which confuses Mobius, but Loki came here to ask Mobius advice on how he chooses who lives and who dies from the standpoint of a TVA agent. Mobius explains he chooses based off what maintains the proper flow of time, but Loki sees no comfort in that choice. This prompts Mobius to recall a time when he failed to prune a child that was apparently going to cause 5,000 deaths in a branch timeline. It cost the TVA lives and Renslayer actually had to step in to prune the child for him. So I love this moment. Um, it gave us a real inside look at what makes Mobius tick uh, and who he is at his core. Um, and also like what makes Renslayer Renslayer, uh, the fact that she's willing to do what's necessary, you know, for the mission. It also goes to show you like how strong Mobius's and Loki's relationship has gotten. Um, and I mean, at this point, Loki's known Mobius for centuries, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. But the fact that in this dire situation, it's Mobius that Loki turns to. Um, really tells you all you need to know about, you know, where Loki is as a character and what, you know, these other characters mean to him. Also, uh, I was trying to figure out if this character who went on to kill like 5,000, you know, people actually had some kind of like Marvel connection, like Marvel Comics connection. And I didn't find anything. Now, I could be 100% wrong and, you know, some you know site or whatever like that will put it all together for us because honestly like i was sure i was going to be able to like google this and you know figure it all out and like oh okay this is so and so but i i couldn't find anything which i was surprised by because this just felt like a moment that the writers would you know take advantage of to like throw an easter egg in um you know for fans but that that doesn't seem to be the case Mobius explains that most purpose is more burden than glory, and that Renslayer is the reason Loki is even, you know, here unproved. But it's the last thing that Mobius says that really speaks the most to Loki. Sometimes you have to make the hard choice, the impossible choice, and that there is no comfort in this. You just have to choose your burden, which Loki thanks Mobius before he suddenly is torn away in time as this was most likely turned into a branch timeline. Loki then slips back to the moment when everyone is torn apart in the room with him. But before Sylvie dies, Loki pauses time and explains to her what's actually been going on, that the temporal loom is a failsafe. As he goes on to explain his options, Sylvie realizes the only choice Loki seems to have left is to kill her or give everyone free will. Sylvie believes that it's okay to destroy something if there's a hope of free will, but this also seems to give Loki an idea as he begins to believe perhaps there is hope in destroying the loom after all. Yep, I mean, still at this point, like, I was expecting Loki to have to kill Sylvie. Like, I'm not gonna lie. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, fuck. With that being said, I'm glad that he went the heroic route, you know, um, and chose option C. Uh, you know, it's something that you would expect from a character like, you know, Spider-Man or Captain America, you know, just refusing to leave, you know, anyone behind, even if it means great personal sacrifice. It's what makes a hero a real hero. I mean, it's a great message and all, but they're also the gods of chaos here. Right? And I was like, just fucking blow up the loom, you know? <laughs> well, yes, but at the same time, you would still need someone to guard against, you know, a possible army of Kangs uh, and also all the timelines crashing into each other. Um, and that's how we got to where we got at the end of this episode. 
He has an army of Avengers. He has to imagine <laughs> that there's multiple teams. <laughs> and it all goes back to Avengers 1 with him saying, I have an army, you know? <laughs> sure. <laughs> he then time slips moments before Timely suits up and instead goes down to the blast doors himself, locking the door behind him as Mobius and Sylvie try to figure out what he's doing. Loki explains that he knows what god he must become, what he must do for all of us as he opens the blast doors and approaches the temporal loom. While doing so, he transforms into an even more comic book accurate depiction of himself and uses his powers to rip apart the temporal loom, freeing the timelines that quickly begin to die without the loom's presence. So, I mean, this is definitely a Disney Plus trope, you know, with our main character getting himself a brand new costume in the finale. Uh, but uh -huh. it's a trope that I love personally um, and leads to some great merch. So it is what it is. Um, I love Loki going full Loki here. Uh, I mean, I could gripe about his power levels making absolutely no sense. And like, how could he possibly be doing any of this? Um, but, you know, I, at this point, like, you know, in my mind with everything that he's gone through, you know, trying to figure all this out, like we've got the ultimate version of Loki, like Loki at his full potential. I mean, this is a Loki who's like freezing time. So I guess I could wrap my head around that and, you know, just let it slide because otherwise it was like, well, why didn't you just do this in the first place? Um, but, you know, whatever. We're just going to say he's at Omega level. Yes. You know? Yes. <laughs> this is like, you know, Loki at his like final form, if you will. And once again, being the fucking hero. With everyone watching on, Loki begins to send his power through the branches, seeing if they will live, but they only seem to glow if he continues to charge his power through them. So he begins collecting timelines, physically grabbing them all as he walks out into the end of time and claims the throne of he who remains, bringing all timelines together and creating what looks like a temporal tree reminiscent to the Norse mythology tree of life, Yggdrasil. What I was confused about was, is this a new tree? Or is this the tree that already existed and like this is somehow like a backdoor like origin story? I feel like it has to be a new tree, especially since you know, we have the moment in Thor 1 where you know, Thor even mentions that there is a tree of life that connects the multiverse. I mean, you could say that there. this is almost like retconning or like play a play on this instead, but it seems like that would be the kind of imagery that would be created by Loki, knowing that you know, he has a Norse mythology background. Yeah, I mean, because I mean, the tree that the tree represented the right, the nine realms, right? Um, mm -hmm. And this feels different than that, um, yes. at least how it was explained. But with that being said, it'd be completely understandable why someone wouldn't totally understand conceptually what the tree represents, um, you know, other than Loki, right? Um, mm -hmm. So I do think you're right. I think it is a, a brand new tree, but part of me would really enjoy that like circular kind of storytelling with him not, you know, realizing that he actually plays a big part in the world tree's existence. But with that being said, I feel like this is doing some like major groundwork for the upcoming Secret Wars film. Um, you know, especially with like a concept of like, you know, Battle World, I could see this all, you know, playing part in that. We then cut to some time later at the TVA as new signs are on the wall promoting protecting and nurturing the multiversal tree for a stable future. B-15 then sees Casey and OB restart Miss Minutes asking if they're, you know, sure that she won't try and kill them all. 
which Obi just shrugs. Casey then tells B-15 he will hold a seat for her at the War Council room as she approaches a distressed-looking Mobius. Mobius updates her on his findings as far as he who remains his variants go, claiming a realm in 616 dealt with a variant on their own, most likely referring to the events of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. And I think there's actually a file folder that shows pictures of that version of Kang. I don't know if anyone's been able to figure out exactly what the file says. Uh, I'm sure there's probably some internet sleuths, though, who are able to, like, you know, do a high-definition zoom-in. But yeah, I mean, it looks like the TVA's new mission statement is, you know, to stop any threat to the multiverse, uh, namely this army of Kangs that are, you know, supposedly showing up sooner than later. Um, you know, they're just a giant, like, Kang watch now. It's interesting because with all the serious, like, legal trouble that Jonathan Majors is currently in, it does feel like they've ridden themselves an out, um, a, a way to kind of, like, pivot away from Kang if they really wanted to, since they've established the TVA as kind of like, you know, Kang busters. Because, I mean, we talked about it the last episode. I, we've been hearing some big rumors that the MCU could be potentially setting up a new villain for this phase um, just in case, you know, they can't move forward with Jonathan Majors as King, um, you know, and that villain is Dr. Doom. But at the same time, they also kind of like set Loki up in that like uh, Doom God, you know, Jonathan Hickman role, um, mm -hmm. you know, that we see in, you know, his version of the Secret Wars. So um, I don't know. I don't know. Boy, would I hate for them to pull like a Scarlet Witch here and like have Loki, you know, completely just lose himself to the timelines and go evil. God, would that cheapen everything, <laughs> you know, that uh -huh. you know, Loki just went through. Um, and it really, you know, cheapened, uh, you know, Wanda's story arc in WandaVision. Mm. Uh, so I, I really hope that's not the case. Um, I could see him, you know, being you know the cosmic being that's you know standing opposed to doom um or another entity if they choose to go a different route um i don't know i don't know i could also see like you know potentially like the heroes finding out somehow that loki is the one <laughs> literally holding the strings of the multiverse in the palm of his hands and oh i can't wait for thor to yes, find out like them freaking out <laughs> because it's fucking loki right uh -huh. <laughs> and not trust him or maybe he just can't hold it all together uh and he ends up failing um you know and i mean we've heard that over and over again in this series that like loki's doomed to fail um i don't know i don't know i i definitely feel like this isn't the last we've seen of the character even though i feel like this is the last you know season of this series like i felt like this was definitely the series finale and yeah. we already know that like you know, Mobius is supposed to show up in Deadpool 3. I'm not sure how that quite makes sense with how we ended with the character here. Um, but yeah, I mean, this definitely feels like they put a huge bow on this series, you know, and Loki's arc here. But at the end of this episode, it, it really felt like they left themselves room to call an audible if they needed to. Um, which is smart, honestly. Mobius then finally picks up a file on his own timeline where he was actually taken from by He Who Remains. 
Mobius then finds B-15 standing staring at the murals of the timeline wars. It's clear to B-15 Mobius won't be staying with the TVA, and he confirms her suspicions saying he has to see what he's been protecting all these years. B-15 tells him he always has a spot on the council if he wants it. We then get one more good look at the TVA seal on the ground before cutting to the void where Renslayer actually awakens after her being pruned. On the ground nearby is also a dilapidated version of the TVA seal, meaning that some version of the TVA ends up here at some point. But we don't get to ponder on that long as the beast Eliath approaches Renslayer to devour her. So I know a lot of people are saying this was Eliath, um, and I and I guess that makes sense. Um, but when I saw it like flash purple, I, I really thought it was going to be Kang. You know, I just don't see this being the end of Renslayer's story, but I guess that works also since this is probably, you know, the finale of the, the series. Um, but I just feel like there's so much more potential for her character. So, um, I don't know. And they could still go that route, honestly, um, even if it was Lyoth. I mean, is is the purple like part of its energy signature? I don't remember that. I I mean, all I remember is that it's kind of just a giant cloud. Yeah, right. Of its of so so it's. I mean, I think the whole scene had kind of like that purple lighting, but it's it makes sense that another Kang would be interested in picking up Renslayer, as she did kind of help He Who Remains slay all of the timelines yeah she helped him win the war so um uh, you know and, and at this point i'm sure she has no love loss for he who remains so i i'm mm -hmm. sure she would be willing to listen you know to another you know version also during the sequence we see a younger victor timely i believe probably in the moment where originally renslayer throws the manual the tva manual through his window but we see that that doesn't actually happen here um so I'm guessing that's supposed to show us that, you know, you know, that version of Victor Timely doesn't go on to become, you know, Kang um, or He Who Remains. So I don't know. Once again, to me, it felt like, you know, Marvel gave themselves kind of an out and like, you know, if they wanted to pivot away, you know, from Kang. Mm -hmm. I mean, it also left me with a ton of questions like, does that mean like. Nothing don't do it, Christian. It, like, <laughs> the series, don't open like... this can of worms, man. <laughs> also, uh, the TVA guidebook has been altered, at least color scheme-wise, but I don't know if that's supposed to just kind of, like, indicate their new mission statement overall, you know, and how, you know, the, the TVA operates now. Like, for a moment there, it almost looked like the TVA guidebook was blank on the inside, but I don't know if I just couldn't see what was written well, you know yeah i think i think that's the case uh -huh. right like because why would they be handing out a box of blank books <laughs> i don't know it's it's a weird place <laughs> <laughs> well that's true i mean they do have a pie room so we then see mobius watching a variant of himself taking care of his two sons sylvie approaches and tells him the yard could actually do with some work mobius relents at finally seeing where he was taken from and sylvie says it's weird without loki here mobius asks where she's going to go only getting a shrug in return she asks the same and she asks the same of mobius and he explains he's going to stay here a little while and let time pass and as he says that we then hear mobius's voice travel across the timelines to loki who's sitting on the throne holding together the multiverse as our show comes to a close I don't know about you, but I, I just, it, it just felt really sad that like Mobius can't go back to his family, right? Um, but mm -hmm. I guess he doesn't really have any memory 
of his family. I guess he's probably just getting like satisfaction knowing that, you know, they're out there, they exist, and you know, there's a version of them who, you know, he is there as their father. Um, speaking of which, you know what would have been really fucked up and great at the same time? If like the person that like Mobius had to prune, you know, the person who ended up causing the 5,000 deaths was his little like psychopath son who was trying to light the backyard <laughs> on fire. <laughs> that would have been a very dark twist. How heavy would that have been, right? <laughs> like if he was forced no, to have to prune his own kid. Like, yeah, it's a chance that he didn't know that it would be his own kid, but maybe there's just that emotional connection. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway, uh, yeah, I did feel a little sad for Moby because, like, what's he going to do now? Is he just going to go, you know, work at another, like, jet ski store, I guess? Because, I mean, there's two Mobiuses in this reality. I guess he could find another reality to jump to, though. <laughs> I thought it would be funny if Deadpool just crashed into their house and accidentally killed this okay, universe's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Now I don't feel so, you know, twisted <laughs> with uh -huh. my scenario. So I'm glad that, you know, we ended with a shot of Loki, you know, closing the series in epic fashion, um, you know, with him finding his, you know, quote unquote, glorious purpose. Um, you know, and completing one hell of a character arc. I know last episode I scoffed when Sylvie really like psychoanalyzed Loki and got down to the core of his motivations, which was basically, you know, he wants to be with his friends, that he's, you know, lonely. But at the same time, I'm, you know, I, you know, I said like that I wanted both things to be true. Like I wanted him to like, you know, feel the need to you know save the multiverse but at the same time you know i'm fine with him wanting friends don't get me wrong mm -hmm. <laughs> but i'm glad that we got our cake and you know aided to here you know he found his purpose which was you know in the grand scheme of things you know saving reality you know giving him the redemption arc that he deserves um but he did it for his friends also in the long run um i'd like to think that he would still do it without you know sylvia and mobius but i don't know if that's the case um because it did feel like there was a maybe an unspoken acknowledgement that that's why he was doing what he was doing especially since it would mean having to kill sylvie um i still feel like and even though i've been pretty much writing off kang as the main villain of you know this phase of marvel um for the last 15 minutes or so I could still see a scenario where we find out he who remains has been pulling the strings all along. He knew this was all going to happen. And he's just manipulating Loki once again. But I mean, that's what I loved about this season, even though they're doing a lot of like table setting here for this upcoming phase of the MCU. Um, they're still leaving you with a lot of open questions, but that's what I've really loved about this season. Um, you know, they're really doing a lot of multitasking here. I mean, they're setting the table for this, you know, new phase of the MCU, putting a bow also on, you know, it feels like this character and at least this series. Um, but at the same time, they're still leaving us with a lot of questions. Um, you know, and like what, like, once again, like what I said with Loki, I definitely don't feel like this is the last time we're going to see him. I just feel like we're not going to see him for quite a while now. Mm -hmm. 
you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, we don't see him until like Secret Wars. Yeah, I would have to imagine have to wait until Secret Wars to see that moment with him holding it again. Yeah. Or losing control of it, right? All right, Christian, with that being said, since, you know, the second season has finally come to an end, it's time to give our final grades. Uh, Christian, you can go first, man. You know, I was a very big fan of the first season. Um, so I was definitely, you know, when them getting even more into like time travel and like the time slipping and everything like that, I was definitely a little bit more worried about this season. And there was definitely points um, where it was starting to, I was starting to lose hope that they could actually pull off a season finale the way that they did. Uh, but it, it worked. Um, everything that they were trying to accomplish with the story for me um worked in the end those last powerful moments with loki you know even though we I, I don't have any understanding of how he was able to like hold the universe together but the imagery itself you know sold me on the moment to the point where i was just so invested in this character and everything that he's been through over the past two seasons i mean that season finale really pulled everything together for me it made me appreciate this season even more than I originally did. Because I mean, it was like a couple episodes ago where I was just like, I don't know what they're doing. And I don't know if I'm going to like it. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I. So I appreciate the journey that we went through, um, the unpredictable nature of the series. And I still loved all the characters involved. Um, Owen Wilson, as I said, like, many times before is fantastic in this i love seeing the chemistry between him and loki all those moments in this episode alone where loki is like taking a moment to kind of address you know mobius mobius's worries as he's like what the fuck is going on you know like he he's still cutting everyone off but he makes sure to stop and say to mobius like it's going to be okay and move forward like i just they, they had such great chemistry together that even like the past version of Mobius that didn't even really like Loki that much, it really played still well off of him during that moment where they're, you know, where Loki's asking for advice. The time travel elements could have gotten a lot more confusing. Um, and there's still a lot of questions on the table, but at the end of the day, I was still happy with the overall season. So I'm gonna give it a B. So uh, from start to finish, I thought this was one of the stronger seasons of any of the MCU Disney Plus shows. And I actually think I prefer this season over the first. Um, like, I love this show's quirky charm. And it really feels like, you know, the closest thing to what it would look like if we got Wes Anderson doing an MCU film. Um, I mean, it's really hard not to fall in love with these characters and the TVA. And to top things off, they also found a way to make time travel feel digestible for me, which is saying a lot. I mean, with Loki finding his grand purpose, if you think about it next to Tony Stark, he might be the most fully developed character in the MCU. I mean, with this arc, he feels like almost the main character even. Uh, it's just a far cry compared to like how he was first introduced. I mean, this season in a way feels like it really got things back on track for the MCU. And for the first time in a long time, I think I'm more excited than concerned for the franchise's future, which is saying a lot because after Quantumania, I was pretty fucking concerned. Um, so besides some nitpicky stuff, 
with like you know wanting to see more of the multiverse um i really found this season incredibly entertaining so i i've, I've got to give it a b plus man and what that does it for marvel content <laughs> for at least to 2027 20, yeah. whatever <laughs> With all the delays that were just announced uh, -huh. uh no we'll be back uh at it again uh once uh what if comes out right yeah uh which sometime is sometime in december sometime in december <laughs> unless it gets delayed your guess is as good as ours and now for the nerds review of the marvels and now our feature presentation What are you prepared to do? I'm invincible. Your powers only make me stronger. So you can't be matched. Can't be controlled. I'm asking for one last fight. Carol Danvers gets her powers entangled with those of Kamala Khan's and Monica Rambeau's, forcing them to work together to save the universe. The Marvels is directed by Nia DaCosta and stars Brie Larson, Tiana Paris, and Iman Vellani. The anticipated sequel to Captain Marvel's debut arrived in the form of a team-up film with her once little niece Monica Rambeau and the newly minted Miss Marvel in Kamala Khan. Brie Larson, Tiana Paris, and Iman Vellani worked incredibly well off of each other as this fun adventure went on, but due to its you know shorter runtime, the bigger, more you know substantial moments in the film you know, felt rushed through and dampened the overall good time. Iman Vellani, since joining the MCU, has been killing it in the role of Kamala Khan, and if you're fans of the Miss Marvel show, her and her family will quickly bring a smile to your face as their you know, family chemistry continues to be a highlight in the MCU. Kamala felt like the biggest star in this film for me and her time with Carol made for some like decent buddy cop moments. While Carol in this feels very much like her comic book counterpart, flaws and all, as she deals with the weight of her choices both as a hero and as the proclaimed aunt of Monica Rambeau who never came home. Meanwhile, Monica has to deal with, you know, reuniting with a woman that she feels abandoned her while also trying to stay grounded in the science of everything going on. While Tiana Paris did a great job with what little time her character is focused on, the story really feels like it could have, you know, used more time to flesh out the issues between Monica and Carol. When you're going with a shorter runtime, you better make sure that you're able to manage all of your, you know, ensemble cast time to the fullest. And I felt like Monica really suffered from the, you know, breakneck pace of this film, especially, you know, considering her storyline throughout. It really just felt like more time and focus was given to Miss Marvel and Captain Marvel overall. Then we have our villain Darben, which is the leader of the Kree Empire, trying to save her people while also punishing Carol for the destruction she caused on the Kree's homeworld. She is in many ways, you know, just another, you know, justifiable villain, which while not a bad idea on paper, just wasn't all that exciting to really get into. In many ways, she is kind of a Carol Danvers clone due to being another Kree warrior like Carol once was, which definitely left me wanting a little bit more out of her power sets. And because she too has, you know, not as much time as many other Marvel villains have gotten in the past, I just found a lack of interest in the character overall. It just kind of felt bland. 
but that didn't stop this film from still being a fun time as one of the best aspects was getting to see the interesting fight sequences with our heroes constantly switching places this was a joy especially in the earlier sequences when they didn't understand what was happening to them uh cg wise there were a few moments here and there where you know it was a bit rough it was mostly these shots where it's kind of like them moving slowly either through space or walking through a portal that it felt like they used CG to kind of cut corners. They weren't so like the important shots of the film because like in the action sequences, everything feels very tight. Like everything with their powers feels very like you're focused on a lot. You know, the phasing through people for Photon, Kamala's hard light all look great. Though I've never been a fan of Captain Marvel's kind of glow she does while she's in you know, space, you know, flying. Like I get the, you know, the light energy of it all, but the look always feels very off to me and artificial. It would just be these random moments of them walking or floating in space that just looked a little off. The overall story itself, you know, gets a little outlandish at times, um, even for a superhero flick, um, if you ask me. And I felt myself having to let, you know, things go every once in a while, especially with how the pacing dictated the story move past key moments. But the trio had a natural chemistry that led to fun and cute moments throughout that could easily, you know, sucker you back in. The characters are just that enjoyable despite the pace and overall flaws of the script. It's an action-packed romp with lots to enjoy and with enough time could have been an even better film, but unfortunately its shorter runtime becomes its detriment as moments that should have caused pause get glazed over. So for my grade, I'm going to be giving the Marvels a C plus. And now it's time for Christian's Corner. All right, for gaming this week, I'm going to have to keep it a little bit short. Maybe I ran into some technical problems and I had to help fix a lot of things with Damon earlier. So it's really late for myself. But we did get a very big story this week, and that is that, you know, Rockstar Games official X account put out a statement from Sam Hauser that they are excited to let us know in early December they will be releasing the first trailer for the next Grand Theft Auto. Now, personally, I've been avoiding talking GTA 6 for a while since there's just been a lot of nonsense rumor after rumor, with nothing concrete to when we'd actually get an announcement. So it's great to finally see, you know, an official statement get put out here. Many, though, have pointed out that the wording was simply that the next Grand Theft Auto um, and not clearly stated that it would be GTA 6. But I think Rockstar knows at this point that the amount of backlash they would receive if this was like another GTA 5 update or ports, um, would be astronomical. The clamoring for this next title has been through the roof. And there's been a new, you know, big rumor almost every week for the past six months. It's been insane how much people want to know about what's going on with GTA 6. And we haven't gotten anything all that big since that giant leak, which I believe was last year. So everyone's been waiting for Rockstar to really make their move here. A few others have you know, been pointing towards the Game Awards, which is happening on December 7th as a possible place where we'll see the trailer, uh, especially after Jeff Keighley tweeted that, you know, right at the same time, um, 30 days from now, the Game Awards would be happening. It somewhat aligns with their 25th anniversary as Rockstar. So I see the potential in them actually doing that. It would be a big get for Jeff Keighley. And then other rumors have started, you know, picking up, you know, ever since this announcement um, with them stating, you know, they've learned a lot from Red Dead 2 and will be implementing a lot of those systems into this game while also 
upgrading their graphics engine to push the standard of open world graphics beyond anything we've ever seen before. The game has also been, you know, rumored to cost Rockstar upwards of $2 billion. Uh, but this again is all big rumors, nothing concrete there. Also with the overwhelming success of GTA 5 and GTA Online, it's not out of the realm to believe that you know Rockstar would be willing to shell out that kind of cash knowing that they will get it back. We all know that GTA 6 is going to break the gaming industry the moment it comes out, whether it's good or bad. But I am hoping for another decent title. Even with all of the big changes, uh, layoffs and people leaving Rockstar over the past few years, I still have a lot of hope that GTA 6 will be a fantastic game. And I can't wait for December to finally see even the smallest glimpse. I remember the first GTA 5 trailer really just showed like the hills and a couple you know shots of the city and stuff like that. It wasn't anything too crazy, so I wouldn't expect you know anything less than that. Though after the big leaks, they might want to try and control what people think that the game is going to be like. So there might be a, a decent sized trailer. Who knows? Outside of that story, um, I was sick this past week. So we, you know, haven't streamed as much. So I do apologize there. Hopefully I'll be getting into more streams this weekend. Best way to find out is by, you know, checking out at Amazing Nerd Live on X slash Twitter or whatever, as I'll post updates on when I'm going live there. But other than that, make sure to check out our streams with Spider-Man and Starfield as we continue to play through those games. And with that said, let's go ahead and talk a little bit of wrestling. But I did not come here to merely be your television champion. I said, hunger is what defines the greats. Will consider me officially hungry. As of tonight, I vacate the ROH Television Championship. Oh, what? What, what the hell? What is he? Wow, what, what is this about? I... Because the next gold that is going to be on my shoulder will be the AEW World Championship. Whether you like it or not, Max. Oh boy. All right, Damon, another week of wrestling is behind us. What did you think this past week's Dynamite and Collision? I thought this week they really managed to get things back on track um, after a pretty abysmal week last week. Um, at least Dynamite-wise. Um, I will say Collision felt like a real like nothing happening show um like they pretty much decided to punt because it was a wwe pay-per-view weekend um which you know at this point we know means that they're gonna do nothing ratings wise um you know it was just i don't know for me it felt like a chore to watch honestly um but dynamite um they really managed to kind of like pivot and get things back on track. I felt like with a lot of their major storylines, um, you know, one of the big problems for me of late has been, it just felt like they were leaning way too much into the haha, um, you know, with the characters. I mean, I get it. Like you want to ride the hot hand and, you know, if you, somehow captured lightning in a bottle i mean go with it but they really really were leaning a little too hard into characters like you know roderick strong and you know tony storm and just just way too many segments 
um, and not enough like, you know, wrestling, um, which is what the company was really built on, you know, yeah. in ring work. So, um, you know, and there's just a lot of plot holes, too, um, which I mean, overall, I feel like was just due to laziness. I mean, it was really starting to feel like WWE light, unfortunately. I think I talked about this last week, but, um, and I mean, it's not just all the former WWE stars on the show at this point, because there's a lot of them, um, you know, and they have a lot of wrestlers over 40 (laughs) featured over the last like month or so. But this week, it felt like they made it a point to start the show off with MGF first Daniel Garcia. Now, I mean, it just sounded like Garcia just challenged MGF, you know, to a match and MGF decided to accept, um, which feels a little too out of character for my liking with MGF. Um, and once again, like I, I kind of like, don't like the idea of people getting title shots before the rightful number one contender gets his title shot in Jay White. Um, but once again, it really felt like they're trying to make a point of featuring their younger talents and showing that, you know, they do have a lot of, you know, hot up and coming rising stars in the business. Um, but they also happen to have a lot of, you know, former WWE, you know, stars who are pushing their mid forties to, you know, early fifties. Um, you know, I'm looking at you big show. Um, so I, I don't know, like this was a step in the right direction though, for me. I mean, it was just like the little things on the show. Um, you know, I, it felt like, you know, even though we had Roderick strong still in the wheelchair and the neck brace screaming at him, um, it felt like at the end, you know, they were really trying to reset the character, you know, with him saying that it was time that people take him serious again. Um, you know, so hopefully we're going to get a lot less of, you know, the psychopath ex-boyfriend bit um, and more of the wrestler Roderick Strong. I mean, I'm fine with them, you know, continuing the storyline, but a little less comedy, right? You know, mm-hmm. I don't need him screaming at him every time he enters a room. Um, and I don't need to see Adam Cole on, you know, the TV screen, um, you know, FaceTiming with MJF either, you know, I, I get you want to keep him, you know, in fans minds for right now, but at the same time, like if he's nine months out from returning, it's okay to take a month or two off. Um, but yeah, I mean, with Tony Storm, you know, uh, you know, talking about them kind of, you know, resetting things. Um, I'm glad that they kind of gave like a explanation on why she's acting the way she's acting. Uh, we're not just getting some weird, you know, silent movie vignettes with her mm-hmm. during the commercial break with no real reason or function for being on the show. Um, you know, we had a nice back and forth between her and Sheeta and everything like that. And I like that, you know, we got kind of a a taste of her motivation and why she's kind of like downward spiral and everything like that, that she blames Sheeta for everything, you know, all of her losses and this fortune, you know, this year as a champion. Um, and that, you know, like just the little things like them saying that, you know, she, you know, has requested to be shot in black and white, like, okay, I can deal with that. Like, I'm not sure why they would honor that request, but it is what it is. 
Um, another example of them kind of writing the course, at least in my eyes, is Hangman, you know, showing up and just decimating Swerve. This should have happened last week, um, but it's kind of a case of better late than never. Um, I know, like, in the middle of the trios match that Paige was having, he saw Swerve and he ran off and basically left the Bucks high and dry. But the fact that, like, he was even willing to go down to the ring and wrestle felt just off to me. Like, you know, he was a victim of a home invasion. Like, you had a guy taunting, a man breaking your house and taunting your infant child in in his crib. Um the show really should have opened with Paige as a complete lunatic hunting for Swerve backstage. Mm-hmm. Um, not like him just walking down the ramp ready to wrestle another, you know, you know, typical dynamite match. Um, it just really felt like another day at the office for Hangman. And that's, uh-huh. not, you know, the visual you want for your fighting baby face. So and it's like they have segments like this all the time where, you know, the, you know, the face is chasing down the heels. I mean, I, I was surprised that they couldn't do it here. Like we, we saw more heat in the uh, fucking uh, hook and jungle boy uh, feud at that point. No, you're right with, you know, hook basically having jungle boy on site. Like, um, I'm not sure why, like, I understand like they were trying to tell the young buck story also, you know, I'm, you know, they're really just multitasking. You know, they're trying to get the, the six man titles off of, you know, those three, you know, the hung bucks, if you will. Um, I don't even know why they won those belts in the first place. They literally did nothing with them. Like, I see what they're trying to do. You know, they're just multitasking, trying to intertwine, you know, the bucks and hangman story and give a, you know, in in continuity reason for the Bucks, you know, turning more heelish, if you will, um, and losing the belts, but at the same time serving, you know, Hangman's story. Um, but I don't know. Like, I I felt like it did Hangman more harm than good. Not having him the first time we see him after, you know, the home invasion incident not completely incensed, you know, basically foaming at the mouth to get his hands on Swerve. Um, it made no sense. And then you had Swerve, like, on collision wrestling a match. I was expecting Hangman to show up there, and he didn't. Um, it's like, well, you know where he's going to be at next week, so, you know, why not show up there and attack him also? Uh, I know they kind of gave, you know, a reason for Hangman not, like, interfering in the Swerve uh, Pentagon match. Like, why would he even listen to that? You know, so <laughs> Again, I'm gl- child was in danger. <laughs> yes, exactly. And w- what the fuck is with AEW? Like, is this a heel company? Right. <laughs> I don't know. Because, yeah, a lot of people are getting away with these crazy ass crimes, especially Swerve. Well, here on the like, I feel like the week before or on the same episode, you had Hook pushing a referee and getting like kicked out of the building. Yet Swerve has no consequences whatsoever for breaking and entering someone's house and taunting their child in their crib. <laughs> like he's not fined or suspended uh, or anything. Like what? What the fuck's happening here? Um, you know, uh, or you have fucking Jay White stealing the title from MJF and being allowed to run around and go down to the ring with it. 
you know, and there's no consequences. Like there's too many, like when I said plot holes before, like there's just too many plot holes like that. You know, if you have Willow losing week after week after week, you know, number one contender matches and then still getting a world title match, you know, uh, like two weeks later, like those weird inconsistencies just, I don't know, like for me as a fan just hurts my overall viewing enjoyment of the product. Um, and it really feels like to me, and maybe I'm just traumatized, but like, you know, WWE over the last like decade, you know, AEW is supposed to be the company that's like better than that, you know, typical bullshit. Um, a company that doesn't talk down to its fans. At least that's what Mm -hmm. it kind of felt like, you know, it was built on. Um, but now it just, it feels like it's more consumed with, you know, getting segments over and ratings, um, than actual like good storytelling. But back to Jay White, um, like even though I like the fact that we have like this through line from the start of the show to the end of the show with like MJF and, you know, basically, you know, him versus the world, you know, he's got a target on his back. He's got multiple people, you know, coming for him. Um, With all that being said, like, I feel like Jay White's kind of gotten lost in the shuffle. Um, and part of it might just be the whole, like, you know, belt stealing gimmick. Um, we've seen this angle multiple times. And I don't think at any point did the person who steals the belt, you know, from the champion actually, like, win the belt um, in, you know, their upcoming match. So, like, for me, like, right away, it's this, like, lame duck storyline that I just don't give a shit about. But the fact that, like, there's, like, five, six people challenging MJF for his title at the same time at yeah. the same time just makes makes Jay White feel like an afterthought to me um like we're already like looking ahead to like you know MJF versus Samoa Joe um which you know was pretty much set up you know this episode you know with Adam Cole trying to get you know MJF to accept Samoa Joe's offer in exchange for a title match um I don't know if I want to see that. Um, I enjoyed their first match, but I just, I don't know. It feels like there's so many other wrestlers out there that I'd rather see get a title shot first before Samoa Joe. Um, but it almost feels like they're really setting up Samoa Joe for a victory here. Hmm. Which, I mean, we do have December on the horizon. Um and we do have the big pay-per-view, um, the new pay-per-view, uh, World's End, uh, at the end of December, which is in MJF's hometown. Because I, I could almost see, like, Joe maybe winning the title on, like, a Winter's Coming or something like that. And then, you know, MJF, like, regaining the belt on that pay-per-view. So, like, you know, giving Joe, like, a, you know, a quick title run. But, uh-huh. you know, I mean, I feel like that's fine if it serves the story well um because i still in my mind have mjf running off with the title as his like contract expires you know cm punk style but with that being said like he hasn't even brought up his contract status in quite a while Mm -hmm. so you know maybe they decided to like you know move away from that storyline especially with him being like the company's number one babyface at this point so um it still feels weird with adam cole suggesting though that he'd help get help from samoa joe i i absolutely feel like 
Adam Cole's the the guy underneath the devil mask. I think that's what they're really trying to play. Are they going to wait nine months? I don't know. I mean, I mean, he could be an on camera character before he actually returns to wrestling in the ring. Hmm. So it could be more of a case of like two or three months. And then you have him, you know, rocking maybe a boot or something like that. Um, and like leading a faction um, against screaming Max. <laughs> Jesus Christ, I hope not. <laughs> but leading a faction against MJF uh-huh. um, or costing MJF the title, you know? Um, I mean, it's definitely probably not the direction they were originally going in. Um, you know, I, I do feel like he was probably going to be the one who, you know, won the belt from MJF at the end of the day, but you know, it is what it is. Injuries happen and you have to be able to call an audible. Um, and I feel like that's something that Tony has struggled with in the past. Um, he, he seems to choose to just kind of wait things out, um, which is absolutely the wrong approach when it comes to a wrestling show. I feel like, you know, the one thing. I'll give Vince McMahon credit for is being able to book on the fly when need, you know, need be, um, you know, his adage was always, you know, if you can't follow through with what was promised, give them something as big or bigger than what you're originally going to, you know, give them on your show. So, um, I feel like that's something that Tony needs to learn at this point. So, um, no, I, I realized that I started off this segment praising AEW and now I'm just shitting all over them again. So, but anyway, <laughs> I do feel like this week was much better compared to last week, at least dynamite wise. Um, and it feels like it, the one thing I will give Tony credit for is he listens to the fans. I think he heard a lot of, you know, the complaints from last week and chose to, you know, really, you know, re-give their mission statement, if you will, or reassess the direction they were headed in. Um, you know, kind of, I, I don't know. To me, it felt like he kind of lost the plot. And this was his way of, you know, reassuring fans that everything's going to be okay and that, you know, the AEW that they've come to know and love still exists. Like, I definitely don't fault him for experimenting and, you know, trying new things. But at the same time, you shouldn't be sacrificing what made the promotion great in the first place. I don't know. Is there anything you want to mention, Chris? I thought the challenge between uh, the Young Bucks and what were they called again? The Golden Jets. The Golden Jets. The Golden Jets, yes. Um, was an interesting segment. I don't know exactly where this ends. You know, if it's just going to end at the pay-per-view, it's just a one-off. Uh, you know, do you have uh, Kenny, you know, losing to them so that he has to join up with the elite or is there kind of some type of smudge? Because I thought, you know, I, I always assume that the you know big match against Don Callis would be on a pay-per-view. Yeah, him and the faction. Like, yeah, I thought mm-hmm. the blow off would definitely be a pay-per-view type deal. But um, it seems like the blow off is happening next weekend. Dynamite um, okay. with the big six man tag, is it? Yes. Right? Because we have the Golden Jets. Um, no, I think it's... Is it four? Is it an eight-man? Oh, it's an eight-man. That's right. It's the Golden yeah. Jets, Paul White, and Ibushi, right, against uh, Don Callis' family. So, although Sammy... I, is, I think Sammy's still hurt. I think he's in, like, concussion protocol or something. Maybe so, they just bring in Kyle again just to have someone in place? Well, I, I think he's... Kyle's actually officially part of the family now. Okay. 
So maybe that's due to Sammy being hurt. I don't know. But I mean, he's definitely earned it. Like he's been great in the ring. So and I actually enjoyed that storyline and everything like that. So with like Callus testing him and everything. But yeah, I mean, I hope that's not the case. I hope that this isn't the blow off um, because I do feel like, you know, we still have another like Omega Takeshita match to go too. So, I mean, you would hope that this storyline is making a star out of someone, not just, you know, yeah, like another Kenny Omega challenge. Yeah. And like, I, you know, I said it before, like I want Takeshita featured more. You know, mm-hmm. within this group, wrestling weekly, you know, um, and really just, you know, demonstrating what a mega star he can be, you know, have him out there getting dominant wins and everything like that. You'll know, show that he's potentially like another ace for your company. Um, I mean, that's originally why you signed him in the first place. So, um, but yeah, no, they, they really do need to do a better job of featuring Takeshi because I do feel like, you know, he also has been getting kind of lost in the shuffle, um, mm-hmm. especially after getting two big wins at, over Kenny. Like, that should be a big deal. Um, you know, he should also be like going after MJF, honestly. But taking the Don Callis family, you know, f- factor out of the equation. I will say I do like the idea of a heel Young Bucks, even though, I mean, they were just heel a year ago. Um, I'm not sure where all this is leading to. I'm also glad that they brought up the fact that, you know, the Bucks do have this like number one contendership match in their pocket. Um, It just it added a lot of stakes, at least to you know the golden jets first the young bucks with them putting that up online you know on the line um i don't want to see the bucks lose again to like you know kenny and you know partner x um you know kenny did a great job of bringing that up though that you know you know with the bucks being cocky and everything like that you know challenging the golden jets you know kenny almost taking to the fence of the fact that, you know, he, they were saying that he couldn't beat them, um, you know, when he has multiple times with different partners. So we'll, we'll see where all that leads to. Uh, I also like the fact that, you know, the golden jets have to put something on the line. Like they're not able to like tag if again, if they lose, um, which I'm totally fine with. <laughs> Cause honestly, like I don't need Jericho to be part of the storyline. No, um, you know, I've been a big Jericho defender for a long time, but this might be the straw that finally breaks the camel's back for me. Um, Jericho just feels like he finds a way to insert himself in every like major storyline going on in the company. Um, and this one just feels so unnecessary and weird. Um, especially with just like the way, and I think maybe seeing Daniel Garcia, you know, wrestling for the world title in the beginning of the show really hit it home for me. The fact that like, you know, he had this faction for like almost two years and basically didn't really elevate any of them. Um, whereas when, you know, the inner circle ended, I could say, well, at least Sammy Guevara feels like a bigger star now, but with the JAS, like, I feel like they might all be worse off. You know, Garcia, you know, is another character where I feel like they're really like leaning into the ha ha with, with the fucking dance and everything like that. 
Um, and I think that was kind of part of the story that they're trying to tell on the ring with him, um, you know, in his title match. Uh, but like, if you think about it, like, you know, in the beginning, when he first joined JAS, like he was such a f- main focal point of, you know, the story between them and the Blackpool Combat Club. And it mm-hmm. looked like, you know, he was really, you know, struggling with this like inner turmoil of like, is he a wrestler? Is he a sports entertainer? And and he got a big win over Brian Danielson. And, you know, it felt like the sky was the limit for him. And then he just kind of became a background player. Um, you know, they, they really didn't follow up that storyline whatsoever. Um, you know, once he decided to stay with JAS, it felt like, okay, well, you know, we're going to revisit this or somewhere down the line, we're going to see him, you know, become resentful of Jericho, but like none of that happened. Um, and I'm not quite sure why. So I don't even really understand his current storyline at this point with it seems like he's like going against the dance I, and it's i feel like it's their way of revisiting you know whether or not he's a sports entertainer or a wrestler he actually cut a really great promo after um the mjf match that i think just uh aired on social media so check that oh, out okay. where it's very much him like contemplating where he's at in his career and everything like that so i could see them really doing a reset for him um, you know, and, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't break completely away from 2.0, um, you know, and we get a full like baby face turn for him. Um, I just, I don't need to see him dancing in between every fucking move though. You know, once a match is fine, you know, <laughs> but not I just every fear move. that he would end up in a, uh, situation like Ricky Starks was a little while ago where it's just like, he's kind of in limbo, you know? after he leaves that group and that's an overall roster problem with aw mm-hmm. tony got way too greedy signed way too many fucking wrestlers um and he just you know he doesn't know how to feature them all um even with the amount of tv that he has um roh also watered things down the fact that you know he's trying to serve two different brands at once um you know, it feels like he did a, a lot of sacrificing of the AEW brand uh, to try to get ROH over. Um, and then, like, once it felt like ROH was kind of, you know, moving away from AEW, once they kind of moved over to Honor Club, um, all of a sudden, after, like, you know, three months, it feels like we're back to square one. And, you know, mm-hmm. the ROH titles get defended more on AEW TV than the AEW belts. Um, it just, it doesn't make any sense to me. Not everyone needs to have a fucking title. If everyone has a title, they aren't special anymore. I mean, if everyone's a champion, no one's a champion. Right? Like, it just, it it, it doesn't make any sense. And I think it's been just a detriment to the company. Um. So, like, it, I mean, if you're going to do ROH, do a hard brand split and, you know, take a good portion of your roster and just put them on ROH TV and keep them there. Um, We don't need all this, like, bleeding over and, you know, intermingling and everything like that. I mean, the fact that we had Samoa Joe just dropping the TV title, the ROH TV title, was just ridiculous to me, Um, even though I, once again... I'm supposed to be praising this episode of Dynamite, but like that was one thing that was like, what? Wait, what? You know, and I don't even give a shit about the fucking brand, but I mean, that does nothing but hurt the value of that belt right now. 
Uh, you know, he beats Keith Lee in the ring and it was a good match. And then he turns around and he doesn't really even give a half ass like reason for it. He just says, I'm dropping this belt and I'm going after the world title because I'm hungry. It's like, if you're hungry, get a sandwich and hold on to your fucking ROH <laughs> title. You, you don't need it. You, you can do both things at once, Joe. It's okay. Uh-huh. Um, You know, I mean... <laughs> I would have, I think I would have been kinder to the promo if he would have said, I need to focus on going after the world title and I can't do that defending the ROH belts every week. I mean, don't get me wrong. It would have been a half-ass excuse, but at least you're giving me some kind of logical reason behind, Mm -hmm. you know, dropping the belt. Like you want to focus going after MJF and you can't do that if you're defending the ROH belts every week. Fine. But just dropping it to drop it makes no sense. And it really hurts the prestige of the belt. So um, I just don't, I don't get that, but it is what it is. Like I said, regardless of that moment, because <laughs> one moment doesn't define a show, um, I thought overall this was a step back in the right direction. And hopefully, you know, they take this momentum and, you know, run with it, you know, all the way to full gear. So which is what, like a week and a half away now? Uh, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy how fast this year is going by. Um, but that's going to do it for this week. Join us next week is we rant more about AEW. <laughs> most likely i mean the reason we ran so much is because we love it right yes right. if we didn't care we wouldn't talk about it you know that's right that's right well that does it for this week as a friendly reminder make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform and while you're there leave a five-star review it really helps new listeners to find the podcast and for us to continue to Also, grow. if you like the stories from this week's episode and want to keep up to date with the show, follow us on social media at Amazing Nerd Show or stop by TheAmazingNerdShow.com. And hey, to support the show further and get additional weekly content, you can subscribe to us now on Patreon. Just follow the link in the show notes. Also, if you want to rep some Nerd Show swag, you can head over to tpublic.com to find t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional Nerd Show swag as long as you live in the United States. All right, make sure to join us next week as we talk all the latest news and rumors in nerd culture. And whatever's going on in the world of wrestling. My name's Christian. And my name's David. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. Morning! Up to see the groundhog? I think it'll be an early spring. Didn't we do this yesterday? I don't know what you mean. No. Ah! Don't mess with me, pork chop. <sighs> what day is this? It's February 2nd. Groundhog Day.